want to invite everybody to come in and sit down. Got a full house this morning. Anyway, I just want to welcome you all here to Country Christian Center this morning. Um, in case anybody didn't notice, it's December. And uh, what happens in December? We've got Christmas. Which at first, I have to admit, I was a little bit discouraged, disappointed when I'm looking at the year going, and the year's almost over. And um, kind of, you know, just looking at the holidays, you got this, you got that, you got to be here, be there, all the expectations that come with it, and just kind of lose a little bit of the focus. And um, we were started, a, my wife picked out a little... Um, reading plan that we were going through with the boys leading up to Christmas, and it just sparked a new excitement for me. Um, looking at, you know, it's not about presents, not about food, it's all good, but the main thing that really just hit me was just, this is the birth of our Savior, and um, I want to take a pause right there, and I want everybody to just I'm going to play, or have David play a song, and I want everybody to just look at the words, think about the words, and that this, this is the birth of our Savior. So, anyway, David, do you mind playing that? Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and ever pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for
just amazing how powerful that is. Just that's the birth of our Savior, the kind of the foundation of the Christian faith. I mean, that Lord came as a baby. I wanted to read. Uh, this is one of the children's Bibles that we use for the boys, and kind of I like the kind of the lead up and the intro at the beginning. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the, book is, or the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you will soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about the story is it is true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name, he is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And then, I'm gonna fast forward here in this for sake of time. Um, the light of the world. I think I maybe jumped too far here. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he had promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in, and when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great-great-great-grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When, he saw the tall shine, when she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He is the one. He's the rescuer. 
the God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than with what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full, every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeeper told them. There isn't any place for you. But where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle, and they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. I guess my, just reading on it, just the, the excitement that this is the birth of our Savior that we're celebrating this month, and just the whole month and looking at not getting distracted, but to focus and to have the excitement of this is our Savior and just to share that love and excitement with everybody we come in contact with. And just, um, yeah, I just want to invite the worship team up, and I'll pray, and just, just to worship our Savior. So you guys want to head up, and does everybody want to stand? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for the birth of your Son our Savior, our hope. Just pray that you would uh, bless this time of worship of you and just guide and direct our service. Amen. Good morning again. Welcome. I look forward to Sundays, even though I, I have the opportunity to get up here and speak, I do look forward to uh, just getting together, meeting together. All my life... You have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. When we're done, if it works for you guys to come, we're going to sing that one again. I, want, I just want you to think about that. All my life, you have been faithful. And all my life, you have been so, so good. Is that true this morning? Is that true in your life this morning? That God has been so, so good. It's easy to focus on the things that weren't good. But really, 
we have to say that God has been so, so good. <clears throat> We're going to go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're at this morning, so if you want to turn there or read along, Galatians 5, we're going to do 1 through 15 today. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing and I testify again to every man who, who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. <clears throat> Galatians, again, and I've said this before, and I will say it again because I'm not done with Galatians. It keeps repeating a lot of the same thing. And I keep asking myself, why does it keep repeating stuff over and over and over? And I feel like I get up here and I study another section of Scripture, and then we share the same thing that we shared last Sunday. And I know why for me is because that I need to hear it again and again and again and again. I was reminded of the importance of hearing things over and over again. We were watching something last night, and uh, it was a, a, a show about Saul when Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. And Saul um, it, is told that Ananias is coming, and he's going to heal his, to, uh, bring back his sight. <clears throat> and so the, the scene is Ananias has his hands on Saul's face to bring back his sight, and about that time, realized that Atlee, my youngest, is standing. He's doing the same thing that I used to do when I was little, is I would sneak out of the room and lay just, you know, so you can see the TV, but you can't be seen by your parents. Well, he knows where to stand to do that, and he does it a lot, I think, more than what I realize. But he's standing there watching, and all of a sudden we realize that he's standing there. So this is the scene, and I, I paused it right at that moment. And Ananias has his hands on Saul's head and his eyes to heal him. And Atlee is six. And he's been to children's church a couple of years now and threes and fours before that. And so he hears these stories over and over and over and he knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly what was happening. Saul is going to get his sight back and he's going to give. And he was telling me, proceeding to tell me exactly what was going to happen. And so why do we listen and why do we read and why do we share and teach and preach things over and over and over and over again? It's so that we don't forget 
because I'm really good at forgetting. If we share the same things over and over and over, you will remember it. And when you get into a position or a place that you need something, some of that knowledge that you have heard, you will know without thinking what it is that you need to share because we've heard it so many times. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. We have been given freedom from our sin. Galatians keeps talking about the law. We're not living under the law anymore. We don't need to go back to living under the law because if we choose one area of the law to go back and live under, that means we have to go back and live under the entire law. You can't pick and choose which part of the law you want to live under. It's either all of it or it's none of it. So are we going to live in the freedom that Christ has given or are we going to continue to try to go back and live under the law, which is not ever going to work? It can't be done. We are not slaves of sin anymore, but we are slaves of righteousness. By being slaves of righteousness, we are able to produce fruit. And I want to read John chapter 15. First uh, eight verses. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. By being by becoming a slave of righteousness, we can bear fruit. But if we're not connected to Christ, if we are not connected to the vine, we can't bear fruit. We cannot bear fruit on our own. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's never anything that we can do on our own. We have to be connected to the vine. It's so important to stay connected and it's really easy today to get distracted and tend to break that connection with the vine. And the problem is, is that when we break that connection with the vine, we start to wither and we start to fade. The strength, the hope that we have is in being connected to Christ and staying connected to Christ. Back in Galatians, it keeps coming up about not returning or becoming entangled in the yoke of bondage. It comes up in about every chapter right now, it seems like. Don't, get, don't become enslaved again to sin. Don't become entangled under this yoke of bondage that you were in. Why does it keep, what's the reason for keep bringing this up? And again, it's because we tend to do that. The human nature that we were born with will tend to want to take on that bondage again and again. And we continually have to be reminded, and through scripture or through through speaking with somebody or sharing with somebody, we need to continually be reminded to not pick up that yoke of bondage again. Let's leave it 
It's because I think part of the reason is, like I said, we're fighting against our human nature. It, anybody have habits here? Whether bad or good, we can have bad habits and we can have good habits. But it's kind of like a habit. This returning to this yoke of bondage, this returning to human, what our human flesh would like to do is kind of like a habit that we just can't quite break away from. We can, we can try to replace and have good habits that will help keep us focused, but sometimes we still fall back to those bad habits that we have. They're difficult to change. Those habits are very difficult to change. And it's, again, not something that we can't do. So then as we keep going, they keep also, Paul keeps bringing up circumcision. What's the big deal with being circumcised? Well, here it comes down to, again, keeping one aspect of the law and thinking that we can get away with only keeping one and not keeping all of them. You can't just pick and choose what you want to believe The scripture is either true or it isn't true. You can't pick and choose what you want out of there. In the same way that you can't take the law and pick pieces of the law that you like and think that we're going to follow that and we're just going to ignore the rest of it. It's either all or it's not any. God came to fulfill the law so that we no longer have to live under the law. Acts chapter 15 Verses 6 through 11. So what's happening again is a conflict over circumcision. They keep bringing this up. They keep dragging it up and making this big old stink about being circumcised or not being circumcised. Uh, Acts 15, verse 6 says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. We're not dividing between. We're not saying that these people over here can be saved because they've been circumcised, but these people over here can't be because they haven't been. That's not. They're coming to a conclusion here that Christ came for everybody. Regardless of what part of the law you might be trying to keep or not, Christ came for everybody. Can you imagine... The, law, the system of the law had been set up for a lot of years. You read through all the Old Testament, they're living under the law. All of the, there's a lot of prophecies that are being made, prophesying to when Jesus is going to come. But the law has been established and has been, people have been operating under the law for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then Jesus comes. And in one event... He fulfilled all the law and did away with the law. Can you imagine the chaos that ensued after this one event? When Christ came, he lived here, he taught, he loved, he healed, he did all of these things, and then he died. And then he rose again, and in doing these things, he fulfilled the law. 
And he took away the need for us to live under the law. This is something that had been going on for, you want to talk about a habit. These guys were in the habit of living under the law. And so when the Messiah that has been prophesied, and they're, and they're reading these prophecies just like we do today, and then Christ comes to fulfill those prophecies, they didn't see it. They couldn't see it. Because everything that they knew, everything that they had done, everything that they had lived for, they had taken the worldly side of that and based their life on that. And when Christ came, they could not see that he came to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law, to set people free from the law. And I should just imagine the chaos that could have been when that happened. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. <clears throat> For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And I wonder if this is part of what is happening when Jesus is walking here. The, the Messiah that has been predicted and prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years is here. And he's living on the earth and he's walking on the earth <clears throat> and they're putting their hope in the person that is here on this earth. And sometimes we can miss the whole point because hope, hoping for something that you can't see is totally different than hoping for something that you can see. If you ever have discovered, we got Christmas coming up, and if you've ever discovered what your gift is ahead of time, you know, you look forward with anticipation and you hope what you might get. You have some ideas of what you might be getting, but you don't really know. And so you... You, you're living in anticipation of this. And this is what they're doing when, when all these prophecies are being fulfilled in the, in the man of Jesus Christ and they've been hoping and they've been hoping on things they can't see and then they can see him. And they can see him physically here. And I wonder if we sometimes lose sight if we can actually see what it is that we have hope for. We have never seen, I have never seen Jesus but I have hope and I have faith that he is coming again. I've never seen him, but that's where faith comes in. We should live as we have been called. Now, I wrote this down a, a few days ago, and I started reading it yesterday morning again, and I thought, well, man, what? If you read your notes too often, then they start to not make sense. But you know, we should live as we have been called. We should strive to follow Christ, but he called us, he called you and he called me just the way that we are. 
And so when I say we should live, what did I write down? We should live as we have been called. I'm meaning God didn't call you because he wanted you to change a whole bunch of things and then answer. He called you the way that you are. First Corinthians 7.19 says, again, this is talking about circumcision. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Forget this other stuff and focus on keeping the commandments of God. We don't have to change who we are to be used by God. God will do the changing in the process. We should live as we have been called Verse 7 in chapter 5 says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. <clears throat> I want to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. A couple of verses in there. Uh, 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We're all running, we're all living in this race of life, if you want to consider it a race. But we know what we're racing for. Or do we get confused at what we're racing for? And do we start thinking that it's something of earthly importance that we're running for? Because it's not. We're not racing for earthly gain or earthly possessions or earthly things. We're racing to build God's kingdom. We're racing to live like Christ, to share the love of Jesus with other people. Let's not get confused about why we're here, why we're here living this life, running this race of life. The next verse in Galatians says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Do we have, or do I have, good habits in place in my life. The bad habits are not hard to get. They're not hard to follow. The good habits takes discipline. Just like we were reading in 1 Corinthians, it takes discipline to create these good habits. Or create are we creating good habits in our life? <clears throat> you know, you can have a lot of good habits, but it says it a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I was thinking of the story of um, when Israel had just defeated Jericho and Achan goes in and takes, you know, he sees things that he takes and buries them and doesn't tell anybody about them and it kind of ruined it for the next battle. One person ruined it for the next battle. And they were defeated until that injustice was brought out. 
Live, let's live in such a way that we aren't, that I'm not the one person that makes it difficult for everybody else. Second Peter chapter two. Verses 18 and 19. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. I was going back into... Um, into uh, Galatians when it talk, it's talking about <clears throat> the liberty that we have been given. I'm trying to find it here. For you, it's in verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. We have been called to liberty. We've been freed from the law. We have been maybe uh, um, allowed to. I know one of the things that was brought up in Scripture was, was being able to eat different things that were considered unclean under the law. But it says just because you have been allowed this liberty, it doesn't mean that you need to cause somebody else to fall because you're living in the liberty that you feel like you have. If we go back, I think I might have got ahead of myself just a little bit. But if we go back to verse 11 in Galatians 5, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. <clears throat> now, when Peter is preaching and people are not wanting to hear what he has to say, because he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about the the Messiah that came, that was predicted and that came, he was prophesied about, he finally arrived and Peter is preaching about Jesus and this was offensive to people because everything that they had grown up with, with living under the law and all of a sudden Peter is preaching in a way that they don't have to live under the law anymore, this is offensive. And today in the world that we live in today, speaking about Jesus and the truth that he shares can be offensive to people. And Peter here, or excuse me, Paul here is saying, if I'm, if I still preach, they're still stuck on the circumcision, but if I'm still preaching about the law, then why do I still suffer persecution? If I'm speaking <clears throat> and saying what you would like to hear, why are you still persecuting me? Because I think people feel maybe threatened by the truth. People ever feel threatened by the truth? Maybe you know something is right and you're convicted that something is right but you're not quite ready to admit that yet. The cross, Jesus and what he's done can be offensive to people. But don't let that change the way you share with people. Jude and it's only one chapter, so verses three and four. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Contend earnestly for the faith. 
Don't be swayed by things that are not true. Let's focus on the truth, the truth that's in God's word, so that when things do come up, we can identify things that may not be true. Speak the truth. Speak it always. Don't waver. And don't be different because of where you are. Don't be a different person because of where you are. In other words, don't be one person at church on Sunday and another person at work on Monday. Always be you. Always Always be who God made you to be. Again, we should live as we have been called. We don't have to do the changing. We just have to be willing to be used by God. He will do that. The gospel, again, can be offensive to people who don't believe or people who know the truth but don't follow it. But we shouldn't let that deter us from sharing the truth. Back to Galatians. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Is that what's happening today? Division? There's a lot of division happening today. I don't care if it's in the secular world or in the Christian world, in the church, wherever it is, there's a lot of division happening today. The enemy would like nothing more than for us to tear one another apart. And in the end of what we're reading, it says, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. In other words, if we can't catch on to loving our neighbor as ourself, we will destroy each other. We will tear each other apart. And, and it's interesting to me the little, the smallest of things that we'll tear each other apart for. And that's not really showing, in the church or in the Christian group of people, that's not really showing the secular world what Christ is teaching if we're tearing each other apart. I want to read one last verse in 1 Peter Just as a reminder, again, we remind ourselves all the time of these things because we need it, because we forget and we tend to live our lives and forget why we're living. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, and it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's just not forget when the enemy wants to come in and he wants to put a little rift between me and you or between you and your neighbor that the enemy is right there, roaring in your face, trying to distract you, trying to to get us to tear one another apart. And this is not what we are trying to learn from the truth. This is not what the Word of God teaches. We need to focus more on love your neighbor. That is difficult, difficult to do. And I don't know how to do it very well yet. 
Hopefully I'm still learning. <laughs> but it tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. Very difficult to do, but that's what Jesus was here to teach us. Let's remember to love one another. Remember not to tear one another apart. Let's try to set an example for our world to see so that when we get the opportunity to share with somebody, we can be vigilant, we can be sober, we can know what we're going to share, we can study and we can learn these things and we can repeat them over and over and over and over so that when we get the opportunity to share, we know what it is that we're going to share. Jordan and Katie, if you guys want to, whoever of your worship team wants to come up. All my life, you have been faithful. And all my life, you have been so, so good. And that continues. I just want to encourage you this morning. We're going to end with this song. I just want to encourage you this morning as we have Christmas season and we have maybe family get-togethers and things we're going to do. And, and that looks different in every, every family. And, and maybe in some families, it's not such a happy time. But let's remember to not tear each other apart. We want to be an example of Christ's love to the world. Father, thank you for your love for us. I just pray that you would guide us as we go from here this week. Lord, I pray you would give us boldness to share. Help us to learn more how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you, Father, for your word that we can read and we can learn and study. And I pray that you would be, help us to be able to take it, to apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, guide us about this week as we go. Thank you, Jesus.